Because Sarah, no, you did not play this song right now. You did that. You went there. You're playing the Scorpions Hurricane song. We are trying to discuss weather. For shame. All right. I knew you were going to do it eventually. <laughs> anyway, 720 WGN. It's Amy Guth here with you till four o'clock. We've been talking about a ton of subjects today, but one we keep going back to, of course, is you might have predicted. Uh, we're talking about Hurricane Dorian, because that is uh, a lot of focus on that, because there's, you know, a lot of uh, issues that Demetrius Ivory pointed out when we talked to him in the last hour from the WGN Weather Center about some things that are atypical about it. We're joined now by Nancy Dignan, who is a Florida-based meteorologist and professor at the College of Meteorology, here to talk with us also about Dorian. Nancy, welcome to the show. Thanks for sharing part of your Labor Day with us. Thanks for inviting me, Amy. I appreciate it. Well, certainly, I'm happy to have your expertise and knowledge here with us today. And so, you know, what has been standing out to you as we've been watching, uh, maybe not even just Dorian, but but the hurricane season so far this year? What has been most significant to you? Um, In terms of the timing, I think, you know, we typically hit the peak of the hurricane season as we approach the middle of August. So I think it's timed out exactly you know, when things really start heating up and there's a little bit more in terms of activity. Um, the thing that is so unusual, and I actually was just looking at the data to make sure I was right when I, I looked at this, and I actually wrote it down. At 8 o'clock this morning, the advisory said that the center of Dorian was 120 miles to the east of uh, West Palm Beach. At 3 o'clock this afternoon, the position update, this is 3 o'clock on the eastern, in the eastern time zone, it was 105 miles to the east of West Palm Beach, which means... It's moved 15 miles in seven hours, I mean, which is extraordinary. And then you have to remember, this is what this is a beating that the Bahamas have experienced, and it really is since late last night. Yeah, I mean, the the fact it's just kind of sitting there churning looks just so ominous on on radars and and all the tools that we have uh, to sit there and and watch it. It just seems like it's just punishing the Bahamas so terribly. Well, so I asked this question a little bit earlier in the show when we were talking with someone from the WGN Weather Center. Um, you know, when we're when we're looking at predictive models, they are just that they are predictions based on data. Um, you know. At what point do those models shift today? At what point are you going to start thinking, yeah, it needs to go north now or it should have gone north by now, you know, before maybe those models need to be updated? Um, they run the models. There's a few of them that are run uh, two, sometimes even four times a day. So, there, you know, there are all these different runs. And every time you look at these these spaghetti models, I guess everybody is using that term now, every time you look at the map, you see, you see and we bite. We look at it. We see a shift either to the right or left, east or west. Oh, there it is, and there it's going, and it, it's too dismissive. The fact is, even when you see the whole cone without the lines in the center, without the models, but just the, the, the cone that you see from the hurricane center, it's really where they, and these are the experts in Miami, it's where they're expecting the center to be within those different time frames. So you'll see them kind of cut it out, mark it out, They'll have 8 a.m. and then 8 p.m. and then maybe some in-between times. The confidence is good in a short term. And then, of course, even in a long-term day-to-day forecast, you know, the inaccuracies uh, play a role. So short term, it's good. It's narrow. And then it kind of broadens in time. And it really is because not that there's so much uncertainty, but there's so many variables. Things have to come in. And the thing that we're waiting for right now, and it's what we have not seen, because this thing is crawling to the west at one mile an hour, 
we're waiting for a, we call it a trough. It's low pressure. It's two hour west. It's in the upper levels, and it's going to dig down to the southeast and then kind of lift it up toward the northwest. The, I'm sorry, it's going to lift it up to the northeast. Well, it hasn't come in yet, and that's when the turn starts. So the big high pressure that's been over Bermuda, it's it's relaxed, and so the steering is lost by that as it you know heads to the east. We need that low from the west to move in and actually kind of lift it up. And until that happens, the turn won't happen. And that's that's why it's really sitting there almost stationary and just kind of pumping and not doing very much. The only good news here is the, the wind speed's weakened a little bit. I don't want to say it's been downgraded, but at least there has been some minimal amount of weakening. And so now it's a Category 4 instead of the Category 5. So there's just a small fraction of good news there with that. Yeah. And, you know, I, I worry that that when I saw that that uh, movement to a category four, when I saw that report come out, I thought, I hope that people don't take it less seriously that are in coastal areas of the U.S. I hope people don't go, oh, it's weakening. It'll be fine. Because it's always, you know, I, I, I err on the side of just evacuate. Just just get out of there. There's no shame in doing that. Just, you know, get out of there. That said, because of this uncertainty, it seems like there's a lot of guesswork to evacuations right now that a lot of public officials are managing because we don't really know what's about to happen. Well, and you're exactly right. You make a great point. You know, all this needs to do is to wobble 10 miles either right or left. Let's take it left, which would take the center closer to the east coast of Florida, and then with that turn up the, you know, the southeast coast, so you're talking Georgia, then the Carolinas, that would be like the worst-case scenario. The other side of it is the center hits, and then it could get really bumped back into the water and kind of off and on just kind of stagger the coastline where, like you say, people see one thing, they say, oh, it's going to be better, we're good. It's not necessarily the case. And that's where there is a lot of uncertainty and the predictability gets a little difficult. You know, it'd be so much easier if they do exactly what we wanted at the time we wanted it to happen, but never really works out that way. Right. Acts of nature and all of those things, right? Well, so... What typically happens? I know the Bahamas, uh, you know, the the landmass there is not particularly hilly. It's pretty flat. I think I read it was only 40 or so uh, miles above sea level, its highest point, or feet above sea level, rather, at its highest point, which is very Mm -hmm. low. What generally happens to the eye of a hurricane after it gets out back over water? Like once it crosses through a Caribbean island, does it tend to strengthen or or weaken or or what does it do? Or, Or is there no typical thing? Well, in this case, and, and it's so interesting, it from the scientific side, it's so interesting because this, the center's brushing, you know, the Bahamas right now, so there's a little bit of friction. Yeah, and as you say, you know, there's not hilly terrain, so there's not a lot to disrupt it completely, but it is helping to at least dry it out somewhat so it's slowing down the wind speeds. On the other side of that is when they slow down like this, the area of the wind field gets larger, so it expands. So instead of yesterday, I believe that the hurricane force winds were 30 miles out from the center, you know, today they're 40. So mm-hmm. it's a larger area of impact, but there's a little less in the way of wind. Normally when they move away from, you know, any kind of a landmass, you know, the open water is the fuel, and these things can intensify pretty quickly. But the way it's moving, and as close as it is to the east coast of Florida, as it rotates counterclockwise, um, that rotation is bringing air basically from the northeast down toward the southwest on the left side, which is where the state of Florida is. So there's a little bit of dry air that's going to be swept in. As a result, 
It's not in the wide open water, and that will not allow for any kind of rapid intensification. In fact, that should help to slow it down, and that would be, you know, the wind speeds as opposed to the motion of this thing, because this thing is not only crawling now, but moving across land brings the dry air in, and it doesn't allow for it to intensify. In fact, it should help to weaken the hurricane. It's so interesting. I mean, there's a hurricane is such an interesting phenomenon because you've essentially got, you know, you've got to look at weather uh, or wind patterns, but also you've got atmospheric climate issues. You've got a storm. You have, a, it's basically like a, a thunderstorm and a hurricane or a, and a tornado and water. I mean, all this kind of happening at once that it, it just seems kind of such an all hands on deck moment of science to even make the conditions right for them to appear. You're exactly right. But then magnify it because, you know, tornadoes are tiny. This thing is, and it's not going to affect one area, one community. We're talking about a state and several states. And as you mentioned before, you know, we're talking about evacuations all the way up through the Carolinas because nobody wants to do a wait and see. You can't when so many people are at risk. So you do it with plenty of what we call lead time. You try to get them out. You do the contra flow so everybody goes in the same direction to expedite all that. Then, you know, they're going to be mocked in the aftermath. Oh, we didn't need to or we should have and you didn't. We're doing our best. It's not an exact science. With everything that we have, the accuracy improves, but it's really never going to be perfect. But sure is a whole lot better than it used to be. That's all I would say about that. Yeah, yeah, certainly. I, I'm sure there's like the interesting technology there. I can't even, uh, I can't even keep up with all of it. I think it's all so interesting with weather prediction models and and all of that. You know, let's. I want to take a little bit of a, a step back because the way we've talked about hurricanes over the years has has changed a lot. And I saw that bubbling up a lot yesterday on social media because people were saying. You know, so and so, you know, this challenges the record for a modern hurricane in this capacity or this one. And people are going, oh, but what about this one in 1934? What about this? You know, when we talk about our eras of hurricanes, not only what we named them, but but when we think of modern times of hurricanes, is that really I mean, that sounds like pretty recent, recent history. Yes, absolutely. And the compar- the initial headline, and I think some of the headline kind of got chopped off, but the headline was it was the most dangerous hurricane in modern history affecting the Bahamas. And at the time that the Hurricane Center released that, and you're exactly right, people were like, no, what about this one? Yeah. There have been stronger ones, but they were solely talking about how it's impacted the Bahamas. And people kind of lost sight at that. Um, but we have certainly seen our fair share of these more significant and stronger hurricanes. And you can look back over the last decade, and you've seen them. You know, last year in the Panhandle, we had Michael. You know, we had Irma and Maria. Uh, the year before, we have had really strong hurricanes. And, you know, it's not a trend that we want to continue to see, but we have certainly had our fair share. Yeah, certainly interesting. And what, what is it that makes, I mean, what is it that we... When we started calling it hurricane season, I mean, maybe this is just like a silly question, but what are the conditions that kind of mark the beginning and end of hurricane season that makes the conditions so favorable for hurricanes to occur and develop? Well, you know, by definition, the hurricane season starts June 1st, it ends November 30th. We don't normally see too many things developing in the early part or in the month of June because it takes a long time for the water to heat up. Land heats quickly, so, you know, air temperatures can be in the 80s, but the water's still in the 70s. It's going to, you know, there's a lag there. By the time it really heats up and 
generally, they say right around 81 degrees is the right temperature. We may not be until, you know, the end of July or so. And even then, it might be the Gulf of Mexico or the Caribbean Sea. But when they talk about a peak in the season, it's typically at the middle of August, and it goes through the end of October. And that time frame is typically when you've got a good swath of the Atlantic now that's heated up. So it's a bigger body of water. It's, you know, well above 80 degrees. It's more conducive for these kinds of systems to develop. And then if they do develop, let's say, off the west coast of Africa, and they're heading toward the west because you've got trade winds that are going to push them along, they have a big open water body over which they can develop. And a lot of times that's, we call them the Cape Verde hurricanes, but those are the kinds that we tend to see as the more the stronger, the more significant hurricanes impacting us. So you got to have a low latitude. you got to have the really warm water. Um, there has to be some sort of a disturbance, and it's kind of a term that you hear all the time, or there's a disturbance here, or there's the, it's a cluster of thunderstorms, and it just doesn't die out when the sun goes down. That's really what it is. Uh, you know, kind of put it in simple terms. And then, you know, everything has to come together. And when you think about it, it seems like we always have these kinds of tropical systems. But 100-year averages in the Atlantic Basin, 11 tropical storms and six hurricanes. But the problem, of course, is it's not impacting a neighborhood or, you know, part of a state. It's many states for long periods of time. The recovery on this is going to be extraordinary, especially what we're looking at in the Bahamas. And, again, really, who knows where it's going to, you know, impact the hardest at this point. But it's a long time to come back from all this. Even the panhandle hasn't come back from Michael, which was October 10th, and we're talking, you know, well over six, almost, well, I guess it's longer than that, isn't it? I guess we're talking like uh, 12 months. Um, I guess it's 11 at this point, but nearly 12 months ago. But long time, and it takes a while because it's so devastating in such a large area that's been impacted. Yeah, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, it certainly. I, I personally saw the uh, the impacts of uh, hurricanes Irma and Maria, and and had that mm. same thought of how this will be years before people can mm-hmm. completely rebuild from all these things. So yeah, that's there's a lot there. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today, Nancy Dignan, Florida-based meteorologist and professor at College of Meteorology. Thank you so much, and and also happy birthday. Thanks for talking to us on your birthday. That's so nice of you. <laughs> The problem with that is, you know, three years, actually, now it's four, but it seems like every Labor Day weekend when it's my birthday, we have a hurricane. So it's something I'd like to give up. That's right. (laughs) Maybe next year. (laughs) Well, thanks so much. I appreciate your time today. Thank you, Amy.